Welcome to machine learning. Well, things are moving really fast. And uh, uh, doing uh, some visualization using uh, uh, Matplotlib for time series. Because one of the things that uh, you'll notice in business is a lot of data is related to time. Performance is based on time. Income is based on time. Payables are based on time. Financials are based on time. <clears throat> you know, so there's a lot of things that are uh, time-based performance, and uh, and and things are going to um, have high high and lows at different times of the quarter, and so understanding what those cycles are are uh, very important. Um, and as we get more advanced uh, in our um, technologies, we'll be analyzing time series more. And uh, what I've been thinking a lot about is probability. You know, using uh, probability of occurrence, trying to make predictions based on probability, uh, where I can do things that are comparative. And, uh, and so setting up your data so you can do that comparative analysis, uh, maybe that could be in, uh, interesting because you could, you could uh, start looking at analyzing your data and saying, what could I compare between uh, different data sources or data items? And then, but uh, one of the things I was reading yesterday is... Um, uh, correlation is not causation. And so we were looking at some kind of strange correlations that had, you know, high correlation values, uh, but not necessarily would be the result of causation. Like, for example, if, if, you're, if you drank Pepsi, were you uh, likely to have a certain income? You know, that's kind of a, a, a correlation maybe that existed. But uh, uh, the causation is probably not true. But then on the other hand, it's kind of weird. There's a, if you did, uh, you know, observe that someone was drinking Pepsi, could you then, uh, could you then draw the conclusion that they had a certain income range <laughs> or a certain behavioral propensity, you know? Uh, it's it's, uh, it's interesting because there's a book called The Big Sort, and I was talking to my wife about that, and, and it's not accidental how we end up living where we do or associate with the people we do who are our friends. It's all part of the big sort. Uh, you know, we're going to attract it to people of similar values, similar religion, similar political, similar values on family, uh, so forth. You know, because those are the things that uh, we find important and uh, we migrate to what we're comfortable towards. Uh, and so the uh, propensity to spend also is an interesting correlation. So like uh, uh, I remember taking a class in economics where they talked about as you have more money, 
you have a greater propensity to spend. Um, and so, you know, the $1,000 item doesn't look that expensive. Or the 10000 item doesn't seem so unrealistic. Or the $100,000 car is everyone drives them. Um, and so, you know, we have to... Well, the more money you have, the higher your propensity to spend. And because things, things start looking cheaper. And then once your money's gone, then you, you return back to the older propensities where, you know, everything looks expensive. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, the ability to evaluate and study data is really critical when you have money because your expectations are going to change. Your emotional expectations are going to change. Your propensity to spend is going to change. And uh, so then you go back to correlation is not causation. Well, is it a correlation that you, you have money in the bank, uh, the cause of your spending? And you might say, no, it's not. But are there things that are uh, confounding the issue? What could be the confounding elements to it? Uh, maybe the confounding elements are, is the marketing. You know, uh, the psychological appetites that you have that are affecting the association. So you have money is the association to spending, but your uh, the confounding element may be the marketing that you, or the peer pressure. And so you feel like that uh, you feel like that you have to have the Tesla or you have to have the um, uh, trophy wife or, or, or something like that. You know, it's there, there's something that's driving you to uh, want what someone else has. Maybe it's the... Uh, last night we had Chinese food and we like, uh, we like Zhao's Chinese food. And, uh, and it was really good, but I was like... It gave me a really bad heartburn after. I had to take some Tums. And I started thinking about it. It's like, how good is this food? That, you know, I just crave it. Why can't I just uh, make my own? And, uh, so I had some this morning, and it was just as good as it was last night. And I thought that's why, is that, you know, their quality is really good. The ingredients are really good. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of satisfaction. Was it, was it worth the money that I spent? You know, could I have gone down and bought a silver coin with that same amount of money? Yes. So then you have the utility uh, of, the, of the item. You know, you know, what do you value? Do you value uh, silver or do you value Zhao's Chinese food? And so, uh, you know, I remember uh, Dr. Lichty had an economics class and and uh, didn't do really great in it, but uh, there were a couple ideas that were really interesting. And he said, he was talking about indifference curves. So uh, basically, if you had two products and you didn't have, you were indifferent towards them, uh, that you would probably not substitute one product for another. But as your indifference curve shifted, then uh, you would be more willing to substitute one product for another. So 
probably the more hungry you became, the less likely that you would be desirous to take your money and buy silver, you would probably buy Chinese food. But then if you were uh, very content, uh, you know, you were uh, living a real strict diet, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, you're satisfied with the foods that you're eating, then maybe buying silver would be uh, the, the way to go because you're indifferent. Um, and so indifference curves can affect you. So these confounding elements that affect the outcomes, sometimes they're known and sometimes they're not. They're not easily known what the forces are that are, are driving us one way or another. And so, you know, as uh, uh, new markets begin to emerge, you know, there's gonna be things that are appealing to one group, uh, maybe to the Gen Z group, that uh, the, the baby boomers never even heard of. I know my daughter, she's a Gen Z, and she'll every once in a while share something from TikTok or uh, Pinterest or something like that, and, and uh, very creative, um, gets a lot of her ideas from the social medias that she uses or uh, subscribes to. Uh, but I've never heard of any of this stuff or never seen any of the content either. And, uh, and they're very uh, engaged to want to know about things that are changing in the future. And uh, they kind of have this uh, excitement about uh, what, what are the things that are changing. But at the same time, uh, they're not really... They're accumulating money, but they're not really uh, stable, in my mind, in terms of their income. And so their careers are, they're moving, Gen Z looks like they're moving around a lot. And they're trying different things, and they want to work remote most of the time, and, they, and then be in the office uh, partial time, you know. And... Uh, they want to work in the high tech where there's a great view and the quality of life is good and and there's a respect for family and so you know uh, I was like watching uh, one one of uh, YouTube's on what it's like to work at Hyperscience and Hyperscience builds uh, uh, digital robots or you know bots that do particular work and help automate companies and. Uh, uh, through workflow, and I was, I was kind of like, uh, actually amazed at, uh, you know, the the number of staff that they have, and marketing, they have sales, they have, uh, uh, they have the technology groups, and, uh, you know, they use uh, they use a lot of uh, neural nets, PyTorch, TensorFlow, things like that, and uh, those are, those are. But the thing that, uh, that that I heard a lot on was not so much about you know the technology and the tools that they're working on, but the the the, t the quality of people that they were attracting. Uh, people were excited about you know coming to work, uh, having a great view. I, I'm not sure where the headquarters were, but it was a you know high rise and um, uh, and then they had. Uh, uh, they had uh, uh, looked like modular 
Well, they didn't even have modular furniture. What they looked like they had was a set of tables, and uh, people were sitting on these tables by uh, uh, next to each other, peer shoulder to shoulder, with a laptop. You know, so <laughs> you're you're working uh, uh, in these uh, open spaces with lots of people, and uh, so it's a. Uh, it's a different work environment. I, I go to an office and uh, and I have a door I can shut and you know I, I it's a nice space for me um, and you know I don't have to share my office with someone who's eating lunch you know I can uh, or who's talking on the phone or uh, maybe types really loud. I don't have to worry about those those elements. But I have worked in office spaces where. It's been like that where there's, uh, you know, lots of people and, you know, everyone's working really hard. And, and sometimes it is kind of fun to be on a team to, you know, solve problems together. And other times, uh, you know, you just, when you're working on your own, you, you know you're it. You got to solve it. You solve you, you figure it out on your own. And uh, I, I think I, there's there's both environments. I've worked in both, and, and I kind of like working by myself. You know, figure out everything on by myself, which which puts a lot of burden on me to have to be constantly learning, so I can know how to do different things. But at the same time, uh, 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 I don't mind it because you know I'm able to keep pace and companies move slow enough that uh, I don't ha I'm not getting overwhelmed with work. So. Uh, that's a that's a good feature too. <clears throat> well, and then the question will become, you know, what about so companies that uh, you know people are looking to to work for, um, you know, some of them are working remote, some are working partially remote, and uh, they enjoy the the culture. You know, um, I don't particularly like the team building events I, I've gone to quite a few over the years you know where they try to see what your problem solving capabilities are and how you communicate and and uh, you know how you look at how you look at a problem and and, and things like that um, and I've kind of felt feel like you should never play those games if you can can avoid them uh, and the reason why is because their psychology and psychology is very tricky. Uh, you think that it's being helpful for you, but really they're looking for your weakness. It's kind of an evolutionary thing where they're looking for the strong and they're and they're trying to weed out the weak. So they identify you know uh, flaws maybe in your character or something, and and then they exploit that. And uh, never like those type of. Uh, Things I know. One time, a company I worked for uh, made that available, that, that service available. People would go in the, and talk about uh, how they felt about the company, and uh, the psychologist never had. There was no uh, client uh, psychologist privilege. He just let them talk, and then he would summarize what they said, and then he would take that up to the CEO. It's like. They'd get all they'd get all red in the face over it, but it was like, uh, yeah, of course, there's that betrayal, and uh, why they did that, 
don't know. It was a, but it gave the, the CEO a lot of information about why people were thinking and feeling, and but there was no disclosure that that was going to happen, and so I, I thought I felt it was very deceptive, and uh, I was glad I didn't participate in it. Um, but I and I think that uh, you know anytime that companies use that kind of psychology on you, uh, it's a warning sign for you to to be considering looking for a uh, new employment because it's, it's just not healthy. And I know that they have uh, things where, you know, people will have mental health issues and uh, and I'm not trying to downplay the, the mental health issue, but at the same time, you know, you, you're, you're in a competitive environment and I'm saying be competitive, be smart, and, uh, you know, do what's in your best interest. And don't be just don't be tricked into doing things that you don't want to do. Um, well, that was kind of a lot on psychology. Anyway, going back to machine learning and uh, you know statistics, there's there's a lot uh, a lot of, uh, of work uh, that's uh, in the statistical realm and uh, going to be looking at. Uh, uh, statistics simulation could be do, it'll do more null hypothesis testing and uh, uh, bootstrapping and things like that and I think I'll take that course next uh, on, on uh, data camp been real heavy into uh, visualization right now and, and uh, you know just looking at the seaboard uh, and some of the um, like autocorrelation and correlation and partial correlation and trying to figure out if something is statistically significant. And uh, a lot of interpretation of statistics by looking at uh, 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 graphs and let, let the visualization try to help you discover what's in your 